And so verse 36, Jacob, their father, said to them, you have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin. All these things are against me. And then Reuben spoke to his father, saying, kill my two sons, if I do not bring them back to you. Put them in my hands, and I'll bring them back to you. But he, Jacob, said, my son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is left alone. If any calamity should befall him along the way in which you go, then you would bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. We read on. In chapter 43, we're told that the famine is very, it's severe in the land, and they're running out of food. And so they got to go back. And Judah, now the other son, Judah says, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll guarantee everything. We got to go back, Pop. We got to go back to get the food, but we can't go back. We don't go back with Benjamin because the man said, you better bring your younger son so we know that you're not spies. And so we look at verse 11 now of chapter 43 with that background, and we notice a name change that Jacob's not being referred to by his original name, Jacob, heel grabber. But in this chapter, he's been referred to by his new name after he wrestled with God, Israel, which means Prince of God. And their father, Israel, verse 11, said to the brothers, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a present for the man, which, of course, is Joseph. He didn't even know it. A little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio and nuts and almonds. Take double money in your hands and take back in your hands the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also, which would be Benjamin, arise, go back to the man, who of course is Joseph, and may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your other brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. What we see here with Jacob being referred to as Israel in this chapter is that great reality that when we just sometimes come to things in life, there's nothing we can do except trust in the Lord. And that's actually a very good place to be. But before he got to that statement where he's talking about God Almighty, El Shaddai, God Almighty, who he knows as God Almighty, it is back in chapter 42 where he said, all these things are against me. All these things are against me. Have you ever thought that? All these things are against me. When discussing this study with my wife earlier today, she laughed because I used to have a saying, like, why does this always happen to us? That was my saying. Like, why are we the only people that buy a car seat from Walmart and the buckle's missing? Like, why? Like, why am I the only person that has a, um, an appointment at DMV and it turns out they don't see it in the system? Like, why does that happen to me? As if I'm the only person of 8 billion people that has something go wrong in life. Right? Like, why does it always happen to me? And it's a self, you know, it's a self-centered, it's a, it's a pity party. It can be. But I think we've all said, like, all these things are against me. And, of course, if you're in ministry, it's like, well, you know, we're serving the Lord. It's spiritual warfare. You start saying all stuff like, wow, the spiritual warfare is unbelievable. And, and, and you just go, like, all these things are against me. Now, Jacob did have a lot of things go against him. Let's give him a little bit of credit. If you're going to say all these things are against you, at least have some things that appear to be against you, and they seem to be against him. But in this moment, when he says all these things are against me, there is this panoramic view of what God's doing that's so amazing, so beyond his comprehension, it's just so big. God is able to do above and beyond all that we could think or ask according to his glory in his church. And as the heavens are above the earth, so are his thoughts and ways above ours. 
And it's so big, it's so glorious. While he's saying all these things are against me, Joseph is alive and he's going to save the family because he's in charge of all the food. But he has no idea about that. That God is working in his other sons to break them of their selfishness, their deceit, and 20 years of living a lie. He has no idea. There are so many moving parts in the spiritual realm going on right now all around him. All these things are against me. Look, Abraham had a famine. Isaac had a famine. We all get famines. Seems like every generation has a famine. I don't mean just like there's no rain and there's locusts in Africa. I mean famine, like the economy collapses, you lose everything, you're tested. Famines will reveal what's in us. They'll they'll, they'll reveal a lot. The hard times, the famines that, that God allows. All these patriarchs in Genesis were tested by famines. Jacob is so set apart for the Lord. The nation's going to come from him. And to this day, the flag, the star of David flies over Israel. And it's called Israel. And this is Israel. 4,000 years later, one of the strongest economies in the world, one of the most powerful militaries in the world, probably the best secret service in the world, God's chosen people set apart to fulfill covenant things yet to come to pass when God completes his purposes with the church. The whole end game revolves around the nation Israel. This is that Israel. The ethnic descendants of Israel are in Israel and all over the planet right now. And yet on this day, all these things are against me. 4,000 years later, the star of David, Benjamin Netanyahu, the IDF, it's, it's, he could have no idea. Now, we're more concerned about our generation, our children, and our children's children generation. But still, God's doing so much more in your life, in my life, in our lives, the Church of Jesus Christ, globally right now. We have no idea how far-reaching the fruit will be generations from now, centuries from now, if the Lord delays his coming. You just, you just have no idea how far reaching it'll be. But there are days and there are seasons and there are circumstances in our life where we just say, all these things are against me. I can't buy a break. And so we can relate to that. All these things are against me. And maybe they seem like they are. But as it says in Romans 8.31, if God be for us, who can be against us? And we're told in the book of Isaiah, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. But it does feel like times all things are against us. When you feel like all things are against you, you can, you can fall into a, like a, the mud. You can get stuck in the mud. You can be overwhelmed in the mire. We have to be careful. One of the things that you do when you say all these things are against me, it's, it's about you. You're looking in the mirror. All these things are against me. You're looking in the mirror. You're not looking up when you come to that. Big God, little problems. Little God, big problems. And I speak from my own experience. But one of the things that happens, unfortunately, when we feel like everything's against us, is we often lash out at those closest to us. Look what he said there in verse 36. You have bereaved me. He's mad. Then in verse 6 of verse four, chapter 43, he said, Why did you deal so wrongfully with me? 
It is interesting that in marriages and in families and extended families, so often the people we love the most were the, were the meanest too because we're frustrated with things going on. All these things are against me, and we often take it out on the people that we love the most that are around us. Now, Jacob's kids were adults, and they deceived him. But they're his sons. These are his boys. This is his family. And he's just all this frustration, and he's lashing out, and he's taking it out on his kids. But we must remember, like what John the Baptist said, a man or a woman can receive nothing unless it comes from the Lord. This is all part of this massive tapestry where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, and God is working on so much more than we can even begin to comprehend. It's so above our understanding how God can work all things together for good, but that's literally what he's doing right now. We have to be careful when times are tough that we don't start lashing out at people we love that are closest to us. We don't start yelling at our kids. We don't start yelling at our coworkers that work hard and our faithful coworkers. We don't get, take it out on our employees. We don't give sass and attitude to our bosses. We don't blame the church, Pastor Brian, Pastor Joey, Pastor Greg, Pastor Skip, whatever. We, we just need to be really careful when we feel like everything's against us that we don't start attacking those closest to us because we love them and they love us. And God values the family unit It's from the family unit that he perpetuates his will and purposes in the kingdom of God. And this gets my attention. You know, we get frustrated if you manage someone, like your parents' estate or you take care of your elderly parents. It can be difficult at times, and you can end up getting frustrated with your parents. Or you can get frustrated with your adult children. Or you get frustrated with your adult siblings who don't seem to help out or whatever. And you can start lashing out at people that you actually really love and care about very much. And you start blaming the people around you and you look across instead of looking up. And I speak from my own experience. Why are all these things against me? You've bereaved me. Why weren't you guys there to help out? We moved everything. You weren't there. You don't know what it's like to take care of this and handle this stuff. Do you want to be on the phone for three hours and have them forget everything you did? You know what I'm saying? Like, Do you know what I'm talking about? And you start getting mad at people you love that care about you and are trying to help you and pray for you as you're going through difficult things. We've got to be careful not to do that. In the difficult time in the famine in the land, that's not the time to t- say to people you love, you bereave me, but to say, you bless me. And it's in the difficult times that we need to lean on those people that we love and ask for prayer and seek prayer and seek comfort and seek encouragement and be transparent and build and nurture those relationships closest to us as opposed to expelling them from us or antagonizing them or making them worse than they need to be. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. So if you know on the worst day, we want to be aware of how we're carrying ourselves and perhaps the wrong impact on people we love. We want to be a We want to speak blessings over them, not curse them for bereaving us. Because in the end, it comes from the Lord, and the tapestry is so much bigger. So instead of cursing and blaming, we need to be blessing and praying. The second thing we see when we go this direction, when it's like all these things are against me, and we go this way, is we'll see that fear replaces faith. 
This is a very dangerous thing. They're so diametrically opposed to each other. But in verse 36, Jacob says, talking to Benjamin, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead and he is left alone. If any calamity should befall him along the way, then you would bring down my great... If, if any calamity, like if any, like what if? What if? What if we lose the house? What if dad doesn't sign the document? What if the lawyers aren't faithful in this task? What if the judge rules against us? What if we lose the house? What if they lay off everybody? What if the new boss is a jerk? What if I take the fall for what everyone else did wrong? What if I'm falsely accused? What if they investigate me? What if this and what if that? What if my husband cheats? What if my wife cheats? What if my kids walk away from the Lord? What if we can't pay the student loans? There's no end of what ifs, right? Do you understand, WG? If you want to go what if, you just pull out a Webster's Dictionary in any language. There's no end to what ifs. What if so-and-so becomes a president? What if is the first step away from what is? What if is the first step away from what is? From faith to fear. What is is Jesus Christ is King and Lord. And he's on the throne. And he's the faithful high priest. Whoever lives and intercedes for us. And he's working in and through us for his good pleasure. And all things are working together for good. That is what is. But what if is like, well, what if? And the longer you say what if, the more impotent God's glory and goodness and grace and character and everything will be in your life. When all these things are against us, we have to be very careful to stay on what is as opposed to what if. Fear is such a powerful tool of the devil to move us from faith and to move us from confidence in the Lord. Like the New Testament says, having done all, stand. What is, is standing. What if is whatever. The cross is not about a pity party. Woe is me. The cross is total victory. What is, is our confidence for today and tomorrow. What if, is the fears of all anxiety and all demonic things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Jacob is a slave to fear. What if my mom actually dies? I know that answer. What if my wife dies? What if my husband dies? God is bigger than our worst fears because it's what is is the gospel and the cornerstone Jesus Christ. What if is the power of darkness? And Jacob is crippled by his fear. He can't even think straight. He's so afraid that something will happen to Benjamin. I've done enough funerals for enough adults, children, and infants to tell you God is bigger than the grave. And many of you know that. What is triumphs every time because it's who it is versus what if. And God has to help Jacob like he does every single time with Jacob. We've seen it, right? 
every time God reaches out to Jacob. Every single time God initiates with Jacob, he pursues him like that reckless love song we sing. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. And it pursues us. And here is God pursuing Jacob. And he's just crippled by this fear. What if something happens to Benjamin? Well, you know what? It can happen. And after we lost our firstborn, I thought, once you come home with a baby that's laughing and crying, everything will be okay. But then I realized we could lose that baby on day three that they're in the world. We could lose that baby on year 25 when they're in the world. Right? What did Job say? The thing I feared the worst has come upon me. He lost everything in one day. And our faith in God is bigger than the worst case scenario. And by the way, my wife, when I taught before, three days before our son died, when she was at full term, I, I literally taught a study on not giving into fear. And I literally said at Calvary Vista, what do you fear the most? And my wife thought, I fear losing my baby the most. And then we lost our son. And my wife will testify this night, if you ask her in the IT room, that she learned that God was bigger than her worst fears. And here she is, 33 years later, teaching two-year-olds, at the director of the pre-K over at MCA. And all of our kids are growing up, and there's grandkids with these names that only millennials could come up with. <laughs> Do you understand where Jacob's at right here? Can you see this? He's just, man, it just stopped. We can't let life stop because of fear and things that happened. So the good news, we end this study with this phrase in verse 14 of chapter 43. And may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your other brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. See the shift? See the shift? You know, the world has a phrase, it is what it is. It is what it is, right? So, like, if I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. But that's what you have to do. Like, you know, I'll never forget in Virginia when Hannah was two years old. It was before we had Leah. She had this raging fever, like 104, 105, and we called the ambulance. And, and there it is, the fear of losing another child. It is what it is. You have to give them to the Lord. You have to. You have to give everything to the Lord every day. The people you love, your calling, your enemies, your friends, and everything in between. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. You're called to take a step of faith and move to Siberia like David Markey, and it goes well, it goes well. If you're on a sled in the middle of Siberia, 100 miles from anywhere in a whiteout, and you've been disconnected from the, the snowmobile, and you figure you got 45 minutes before you die, if they don't come back and find you in a whiteout, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. If I never see my children again, I never see my children again. If you go to the Middle East and you share your faith, and you go door to door, and you're having a wonderful day, and it seems like things are going good, you're having tea with these people, the other people, and these guys pull out a gun and abduct you and take you to Syria, if I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. But to obey is better than to sacrifice. You cannot arrive in Istanbul without taking those thoughts captive to the Lord or wherever God might send you or where he has sent other people. We have to come back to 
God Almighty. Do you see that? We have to remember who we serve. God Almighty. And notice the name change. We talked about his name change. You were heel grabber, Jacob, and now you're prince of God. We saw that earlier on in Genesis when he wrestled with God. And isn't it interesting in these two chapters where he's falling apart? Oh, you guys, you believe me, and you guys, there's just no way in the world. And what if, and what if, and what if? And suddenly the next chapter, it's like, of course, Jacob has a plan. Take some fruit, take this, take that. We always have a plan, and he just says, may God Almighty go before you and give you mercy in the eyes of this man who is his son. Isn't this the most amazing story? As you see going deeper and deeper in Joseph and the life of Joseph, this is his son. This, he calls him the man, the man, the man, this big scary, the big scary man. The scary man in Egypt who, who said, don't show up unless you bring that youngest kid. And why'd you tell him we had another younger kid? That scary man who took Simeon and locked him. That scary man is the son he's been weeping over for 20 years with the deceived garment from the blood of the goat. And so he comes to that place that we all have to come to, God Almighty. Man, set that plumb line straight. God Almighty. God Almighty. Every what if is set straight by God Almighty, El Shaddai. I am that I am. Take off your sandals. God of the universe, who's proven his love by sending his son to die on the cross for us. Proven his power by Jesus rising from the grave for our hope and justification. Proved his personal touch in our lives by ascending to the right hand of the Father and ever interceding for us and showing his personal handprints and DNA on our life and the uniqueness of our life on a daily basis. Doing things that we don't know, looking out for us and doing things that sometimes we realize, oh my goodness, that was the Lord. Showing himself personal, knowing the hairs on our head to each and every one of us in this room who has given their life to Christ. El Shaddai. He's no less El Shaddai for you than it is for me or any other believer on this planet. He's God Almighty. Isn't that amazing? Like, we're not a political organization here. We're the church of Jesus Christ. We worship and serve the king. We're like, what we really have here, we really have here. Jesus is the preeminent one, and he's the head of his church, and we're his church, and he loves us, and that love is proven. So we don't need to be overwhelmed by the things that cause anxiety. He told us not to be. He said, cast our cares upon him. He told us his burden is light, and his yoke is light, his burden is easy. He told us to not worry about tomorrow, but to just stay focused on today and seek first his kingdom. So tonight, and it's interesting because Scott was praying about this stuff. He didn't even know a text room, but he actually prayed about this at the beginning of service during worship early on. But we have to cast our cares before him. And we can't, we don't want to leave here tonight saying all these things are against me. We need to say if Christ is for us, then who can be against us? That's the worldview. See how different they are? All these are against me, or if God be for me, who can be against me? Because who knows what we'll face between here and our last breath? You just don't know. But it's what is because of who is and not the what if. And I'm, before this book is done, Jacob's just going to praise the Lord. The very last things that he says, he's just praising the Lord. It's as if he's in memory care at a facility or at least assisted living. 
and he's just praising the Lord. It took him the whole journey to get to the place where he said, El Shaddai really does have it. He really has my back. He's going to be called Jacob again in this book. But isn't it fascinating that the Holy Spirit switches his name here to understand who he is because of what is and who is, as opposed to what if and being a heel grabber and living in fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. And God's love is perfect. Be reminded of that tonight. As we prepare for communion, be reminded of that. And whatever seems like it's against you, it's a bigger picture. And God is stretching you and growing you. And of course, we're all living that in different ways tonight in our lives, aren't we? What, what that means is, might be different for the personal things that God's doing in your life. But it's a bigger picture. Faith is about who is. Fear is about what if. We need to, we need to recognize that and not go there. Amen.